Now, when was the first earthquake in the history of the world? And what we know is during Noah's flood that the world was devastated by a world devastation, not just by water from the rain that fell 40 days and 40 nights, but in Genesis 7 verse 11, it tells us that the great deeps were broken up when there was tectonic activity and there were seismic forces devastating the earth, volcanic eruptions, mountains rising, seabeds forming, and hollows in the earth holding water, craters, lakes, whatever they are, when the devastation ended in the days of Noah. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak Today. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. Coming up to the Easter season, of course, we want to focus some of our messages on the cross of the Lord Jesus, the greatest story of history, the greatest event of all time that has changed the world. And yet, do we really know what was accomplished when Jesus died on that middle tree? Do we understand what his blood purchased, what God was doing when he punished his son in the place of sinners? How did the dying thief enter paradise that day by the power of a dying man? These are seeming anomalies, and yet they are the great wonders of the world. And today I want to invite you to stay with us through the program as we look at the message of the cross. I want to read an excerpt from The Judgment of This World by Hokusma, the uh, preacher par excellent on the message of the cross. And I invite you to join with us for this message. Then we'll be looking at preparing for the second coming. And we trust the Lord will use his word in your heart today. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. John chapter 12, verse 31. These words were spoken by our Lord only a few days before his final suffering and death on the cross. In fact, they were spoken specifically with a view to that death. It was the first day of that final week of Jesus' public ministry, the day on which he had made his royal entry into Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah's well-known prophecy, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. In those days, more crowded with events than any other part of Jesus' ministry, all things clearly pointed to the Savior's death. The day before, at the supper, they had prepared for him at Bethany, in the home of Lazarus, Mary had prophesied of his approaching end when she anointed Jesus' feet with the precious spikenard which he had kept against the day of his burying. Spurred on in their evil designs by the apparent popularity of the Savior which seemed to have reached a new climax through the raising of Lazarus from the dead and which revealed itself in the enthusiastic acclamations with which the multitude accompanied him on his royal entry into the holy city. The chief priests consulted to kill not only him, but also Lazarus. 
in the request of the Greeks that had come to worship at the feast to see Jesus, the Lord evidently beholds a sign of the fulfillment of the promise that he would see his seed when his soul should have been made an offering for sin. Isaiah 53.10 For in connection with this incident, the Lord says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Indeed, the Lord was that corn of wheat that must needs fall into the ground and die, before it could bring forth fruit at all. And being conscious of this, and the shadow of the cross creeping over his soul that moment, he cries out, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into the world. Father, glorify thy name. Oh, indeed, it was the hour, the hour in which God would be glorified through the death of his Son. And with a view to that hour, the Lord solemnly declares, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Strangely unreal and contrary to fact, these words sound from the lips of our Lord at this moment. Now is the judgment of this world. But how could he speak thus, and that too, at this time, and with direct reference to that moment. Did not the day of the judgment of this world appear afar off, farther in fact than ever before? Did not the prince of this world seem more firmly established on his throne than ever before? Was not the truth of the matter rather the exact opposite from which Jesus here so solemnly and confidently declared? Would not the whole world, presided over by its wicked prince, sit in judgment over the Son of Man? And would they have the complete and final victory over him? Or did not our Savior know what awaited him in this hour? Already the leaders of the Jews took counsel together, how they might kill him. Another day or two, and one of his own disciples would covenant with the enemy for thirty pieces of silver to betray him. The night was not far off, when they would come against him with swords and staves, and would take him captive, forsaken even by the offended disciples. He was to be brought before the Jewish council, not indeed as the judge, but as the judged, accused, maltreated, blindfolded, buffeted, spit upon— the helpless and powerless object of their furious hatred. Before the Roman governor, he was to appear indicted as a malefactor, a common rebel who incited the people to insurrection against Caesar. He was to be subjected to Herod's cruel and cowardly mockery, to the contempt and reproach of the Roman soldiers. The purple robe, the crown of thorns, the mock scepter to the shame of being rejected in favor of a common criminal. And he was to be condemned to the shameful death of the cross, kneeled to the accursed tree, 
as a public spectacle, exposed to the reproach of the world. Did not the Lord know? Oh, but he did. He saw the way that stretched itself before him in all its horror, and yet, quite contrary to all external appearances, he solemnly declares, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Thus, then, it must be. What was historically, as men view the events of this world, the trial of the world of Jesus, was in reality the trial of the world by God. What was to all appearances the condemnation of the Son of Man by the tribunal of the world was in deepest reality the condemnation of the world before the tribunal of the judge of heaven and earth. Two thousand years ago, more definitely speaking, in the hour of Jesus, in that brief period when the Christ of God was tried, condemned, crucified by the rulers of this world, the world stood very really in judgment before God, was tried and condemned. True, there will come a final day, a day of the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, when all that is implied in the judgment of the cross shall be publicly verified and exposed. But that does not alter the fact that in a very real sense of the word, the judgment of the world has already become a fact through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And we must understand and believe this truth. The world is already and irrevocably condemned. The prince of this world has already been utterly cast out, and in the midst of this condemned world, with its deposed prince, we must take shelter by faith in the shadow of the cross and take hold of the justifying power of the resurrection that we may be saved.
we're back in Matthew 24 again. And I'm sure you've heard quite enough about earthquakes uh, this week and all the issues of the, uh, the issue of the, the big one that has struck the nation of Japan. And no doubt they are reeling from all the issues of that mighty, mighty force of that earthquake. Now, the question that is in many people's minds is, is this a sign of the end? In Matthew 24, 3, you'll notice that this question was asked when the disciples drew with the Lord privately. And it was obviously in their minds and in their hearts. And when they had a, a private audience with the Lord, uh, they asked this question, what shall the sign of thy coming be? And our interest is really in our Lord's response to that question. How did he answer these disciples? We don't want to follow our own reasoning. We don't want to get our answers out of the newspaper. We don't want to be following the, the mere speculations of men. So how did the Lord Jesus answer this? And although the news of this week almost sounds and seems you know, apocalyptic, uh, something that's projected in the Bible, uh, you might wonder, is this a sign of the end? Now, the sign of the Lord's return to wrap up the world and to judge men, you'll notice how the Lord did answer this in verse 6. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. But that's not the end. That's not the end. In verse 7, you will hear of nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. But that's not the end, nor is it a sign of the end. And also in verse 7, pestilence is mentioned. Now, the world has been visited at times with various pestilences. In the sixth century AD, there was the bubonic plague that broke out in the Mediterranean world. It was sometimes called the Justinian plague, and it wiped out vast portions of populations at that time. It returned again in the 14th century when about a third of Europe's population died. There were vast dynasties even in China uh, from that same period that uh, uh, were wiped out by that bubonic plague. It returned again in 1665, known as the Great London Plague, when there was a total of about 100,000 people, 20% of the population were wiped out by that plague. Bubonic plague, there was a case of it, by the way, that turned up in Oregon last year. And now they're able to treat that with antibiotics. So the world is not totally free from the possibility of such pestilences and plagues. Then verse 7, what about earthquakes? Nor is it earthquakes. It says pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Then verse 8, and these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, when was the first earthquake in the history of the world? 
And what we know is during Noah's flood that the world was devastated by a world devastation, not just by water from the rain that fell 40 days and 40 nights, but in Genesis 7 verse 11 it tells us that the great deeps were broken up when there was tectonic activity and there were seismic forces devastating the earth, volcanic eruptions, mountains rising, seabeds forming, and hollows in the earth holding water, craters, lakes, whatever they are, when the devastation ended in the days of Noah. There's another earthquake when Moses received the Ten Commandments. The mountains filled with fire and quaked, we are told. In the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, there was another mighty earthquake, an earthquake that was remembered about 200 years later and referred to by Zechariah. Uh, so these things are by no means new. Josephus, he is that uh, Jewish historian, and he wrote of an earthquake that took place about 31 B.C., killed many and devastated populations of cattle. Then let's not forget the earthquake that took place at Calvary when God shook the very mountain during the death of our Lord Jesus. Then the Philippian jailer converted, not just through the preaching of Paul, but through the earthquake that flung open the doors of the jail, so there was a great earthquake. And since then, there have been earthquake after earthquake. Uh, there is approximately 12 big ones that have taken place at various times. I'll just list them very, very quickly. Rhodes in 2226, uh, Alexandria 365 AD, when ships were flung inland for about two miles by the tsunami. One of the largest death tolls was in China, uh, in the area of Shangxi, and that was in 1556. Then Sicily, Lisbon, New Zealand, San Francisco, 1906, um, Alaska in 1963, Peru, Argentina, Chile, Sumatra, New Zealand, Japan. Earthquakes have happened again and again and again but they have not been the sign that the Lord is returning. Not directly, but there is a message. And I want us today to look at the message that comes to our hearts every time this earth is shaken by such mighty, mighty forces. Now, the thing that really concerns us is the vast loss of life when these things happen. Hundreds, thousands, taken out into eternity. Now, we have to believe this is God speaking. Now, you'll notice that earthquakes, as our Lord Jesus taught these disciples, are a part of the tribulation that will come upon this world and that we must endure in this earth. In verse 8, our Lord Jesus said, All these are the beginning of of sorrows. There is no peace for this world. 
There is unrest, there is fear, there is turmoil, there is chaos, there is pestilence, there is war, there is death all around us in this world. And you'll notice uh, the Lord goes on in verse 9 onward, he talks about persecution. That's against the Christian. Verse 11, false prophets. Verse 12, the increase of iniquity. Rebellion, anarchy, godlessness, abounding. These things are all the beginnings of sorrows. And verse 12, the love of many will wax cold. And I think that we're dealing with that in our day and generation, when there is a coldness to the things of God. Advertise a circus and you'll get thousands. Advertise a gospel meeting and they'll walk by. There is very little genuine interest in the things of God today. The love of many waxing cold. What about the zeal of your heart? Can you say today that you're on fire for God? You're constantly fighting the spiritual deadness of this age, the carelessness and the apathy of all around you, the love of many waxing cold. And verse 14, we're told that the gospel will be preached into all the world. That's perhaps one of the clearest signals. Japan has the gospel, but of all the certainly more modern countries of the world, it has the smallest percentage of Christians in the world. Very small percentage of Japanese people have turned to the gospel. There are churches there, there are missionaries there, but they are very, very few in the scale of that uh, very large population. And God may well be shaking that nation that it will become the handmaid of the gospel, that those that are preaching the need of a Savior, that men may be softened and turned to consider their eternal destiny. And so, what do we learn from these earthquakes? That it is a beginning of sorrows. The second lesson is that this world is not our home. This world is not the final destiny of man. As one has said, the earth reluctantly tolerates man's existence. The ground, it grows thorns instead of flowers so readily. When you cultivate, you have to recultivate. Think of the energy in erecting homes for shelter, only to be swept away or turned into rubble and become the very agents of death instead of protecting life and limb. There's a cruel twist to what men call Mother Nature. It's a very unkind mother. There's a harshness, there's a, a, there's a bitterness to Mother Earth. And of course, the Bible tells us that it began with the fall. Back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sinned and God drove him out of the garden, he cursed the ground. And that curse upon the ground meant that it would produce food with great trouble, sweat and labor and toil. And 
Mothers would bring forth children with pain and anguish. There would be tears in the world and sorrow and death. This world is not a place of rest, either for the body or the soul. Now, Paul the Apostle takes this up in Romans chapter 8. Now, I want to turn your attention to that today because it tells us here about this earth that is quaking, groaning, waiting for the day of redemption. Romans 8 and verse 18 we will begin with. You'll notice in verse 18 that the present time is called a time of suffering. Our Lord Jesus said exactly the same thing. These are the beginning of sorrows, pestilence, wars, uh, earthquakes, persecutions. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Can you see there that this world is not our home? We're just biding our time. We're just eking out an existence for a little while until the glory comes. Now, of course, that's the day when the trumpet sounds and our Lord Jesus ushers his people into glory and the wicked will be taken away in his wrath. Now, having said that in verse 18, you'll notice the apostle goes on, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature. Now, when you see creature, it can also be translated creation. The earth, the creation, the mountains, the seas, the air, the, the skies around us, all of creation waiteth. It waiteth. There is an expectation. The world as it is now is temporary. It is the time of sorrows. And what's it waiting for? Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's the day of Christ's return. When our redemption will be completed. And when all the people of God that are bought by the blood of Christ shall be ushered into a new heaven and a new earth. And the creation is waiting. It's, in, it's, in, it's on hold. Waiting for that great day when Christ shall return. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. 
Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.